You're listening to the OCD and Anxiety Show, episode number 100. And on today's show, we are going to talk about what to do when a loved one won't get help, right? And so this is going to conclude our series on how to help a loved one with OCD and anxiety. And this is, you know, a problem that a lot of us run into is that we know the person has OCD and anxiety. We know they're struggling. We try to get them resources, books, you know, treatment providers, treatment options, all that stuff. And it just falls on falls on deaf ears, right, in many ways. And so then what do we do next, right? And that's what we want to talk about in this episode. And um, really how to help a person in this situation is really about helping them become problem aware. And we need to make sure that we aren't, we aren't initiating secondary gains for the individual that's ultimately going to keep them stuck. And so at this stage, um, you know, with all the stuff that we've talked about up to this point, this is really about, you know, making sure we understand the idea of secondary gains and helping the person, um, the person achieve problem awareness. So thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Matt Cotty, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I specialize in helping people take their lives back from OCD and anxiety. And on this podcast, I'm going to share with you simple tools, strategies, and principles that will help you on your journey to recovery. Because once you apply the proper knowledge and strategies, you can begin to transform and restore your mind and body. And when we heal as individuals, we can promote that healing into our families and communities and ultimately create a better world for everyone from the inside out. Welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Show. All right, hello and welcome to this episode where we're going to talk about how to help a loved one with OCD and specifically we're going to talk about what to do when a person that we know doesn't want to get help. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt Cotty, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm the founder of Restored Minds, along with the creator of the AAA Response. And like I said, in this episode, what I want to do is I want to talk about what we can do as loved ones um, when our the person we know who's really struggling with OCD anxiety doesn't want to get help or doesn't you know think they need help. It can be a very challenging situation to be in because Oftentimes, again, when that person is in that lens, they don't see the problem as you see it, right? As we see it, right? I mean, when you're in that lens and you're looping on that on that item, right, or that that theme, whatever it is, they are seeing the world in a distorted way, right? And and I always show, um, you know, to to reference this, I always show that example of uh, Chuck McGill in in the show Better Call Saul, where you know he is convinced in his mind that he's allergic to electricity now in the show they end up showing him right that he actually isn't right and um you know that it's all in his head but i mean when they show what it's like what his experience is like when he goes outside and is around it it's like you know he he sees it in a very distorted way um and if you haven't if you haven't checked out our free um our free training on that actually we have some links right down below where you can get access to that to really get a, a visual of that along with you know the major shifts that you really need to make to break out of this loop but um anyways when you're when your loved one is struggling and you see it right i mean the thing is is the family like i said the family is oftentimes like the they they, sh- they suffer just as much often if not more because they spend so much time accommodating and trying to help the person and and it like i said it usually builds the loop because they're accommodating reassuring um 
and so the, it actually gets worse. But the, the person that really suffers in silence is the family member usually, in, in my experience. I mean, don't get me wrong, the person, we know the person that has OCD and anxiety is, is suffering, but it doesn't mean that the suffering that the family experiences is any less, you know, because oftentimes their whole lives end up getting built around this one fear. So, you know, to really, to put it um, straightforward, because this is, this is going to be, uh, you know, some difficult stuff to hear sometimes. But when a person doesn't want to get better, the reality is they're not going to, you know, like and until they decide that something's a problem or and that they really need help, nothing's going to change. OK, you, you can't you can't force this on people. A lot of times what I've seen, you know, parents and loved ones do is they try to force this on their their family member right whether it's on their child was on their spouse whether it's on um you know their uh brother sister i mean i don't know name the name the relationship right i've seen it and the thing is is that it doesn't work right um and oftentimes it just gets more frustrating because the person trying to help thinks they're trying to help and the person who's you know getting this this thing forced on them often perceives it as an attack and so the conflict just starts building 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 but like i said the other the other flip side to that is is that if you allow the ocd to just live in your family and you allow it to grow and you allow the person just to get worse and worse and worse and worse without getting help um what will happen is as a family and, and a loved one you'll begin to resent them it's it's just it's a normal human experience and i know you're like I, you know, I can't resent my child or my partner or, you know, um, parent, but it's like, it, it's just, it's a natural human experience because the reason you'll start to resent them is because you're prioritizing their feelings over your own. And if you do that long enough, eventually you, you just in instinctively know you're neglecting yourself, right? And we can only do that so long. As we have to, we have to take care of ourselves, right? Self-preservation, like we have to be able to take care of ourselves. Um, and what I've seen happen is, you know, that this OCD loop just grows and grows and grows to the point where it's so intertwined with the house and the relationship that eventually, that that's when the relationships really blow up and really, you know, in many, in some cases, end, right? And and ultimately, we want to prevent that, right? And it's preventable. And what it comes back down to is setting healthy boundaries, um, you know, because and, and oftentimes what I've seen make help people make those shifts is when they really see how much this is impacting their life. Because what happens is, as loved ones, sometimes we accommodate so much that the person, they, they, even though they know something's going on, if, if their basic needs are all met, right, then they have no real reason to change. And so I talk, talk a lot to, uh, about this with parents. Um, you know, so this is, this is really speaking into the more parent-child um, relationship because I, I need you to see it from this context. So if your child, right, let's say they're, let's just say they're um, late teens, early 20s, right? Because a lot of onset with, with OCD and anxiety happens in that teenage, um, you know, early 20s age. And if you are taking care of all their basic needs, right? To the point where it's like, they don't have to worry about money, they don't have to worry about shelter, they don't have to worry about food, they do, all their laundry's done. Um, and, and then you want them to change and, and get out of, you know, the, the, you know, get help with OCD. 
the reality is there's not really much incentive for them to change. This is what we call secondary gains. Um, because it's like they have the luxury and time of really doing this, right? And, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, support you know, your loved ones and things like this. So there's a real delicate line, and I'm not pretending to be the all-knowing expert of where that is for everyone, right? But what I am saying is you have to ask yourself, like, what are the secondary gains? Because I've seen it time and again where the change actually happens. It's a big paradox, right? The parents want the person to get better so they can go live on their own, Right, but sometimes it's having the person leave the house and putting them on their own that really helps them see how much this is really impacting them. That then inspires them to get change or get help and really start to change. And I've seen this before. Um, you know, again, most of the things in this treatment and recovery are, excuse me, a huge big paradox, right? And and that is the thing to remember here is that even if your loved one is really struggling, you have to cease accommodation behaviors, right? Because you you have to set the, the um, idea of long-term recovery as your priority, not their short-term comfort. So if you are doing your loved one's, you know, laundry and, and just basic stuff, you know, and you're repetitively doing that. I'm not saying it's not okay to help out from time to time, but it's like, if you're just always doing everything for them, like eventually resentment is gonna set in and, and that is when, you know, really like you know, some permanent damage often is inflicted on the relationship. So to prevent the permanent damage, oftentimes we have to be okay with that short-term conflict, right? The better you are at low, lower level conflict, um, the less you're less likely you're going to be to reach high levels of conflict right and 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 you know i think jordan peterson said it really well that a problem ignored is a problem multiplied right and and it's so true it's like if we just keep ignoring this and kind of hoping that it will go away it's like yeah it's just going to get worse and worse and worse to the point where sometimes you know just it, things get really really bad so we got to be willing to say hey look like and, and to hold the person to the the level at which they're able to live, right? Because oftentimes, this is another thing to, to consider here, how you see someone is how they will act, right? You, I mean, if you see them as a successful, competent, capable person, they will begin to behave that way. If you see them as incompetent, you see them as like, you know, like that they can't do it, people will start to live up to expectations, both ways, high and low. Right, so as a loved one, it's about holding them to the proper expectations of what you know they're really capable of, right? And then you know setting it up for them to live up to those expectations. And if they just are at a point where they're refusing treatment and refusing to get better, you're gonna have to start setting up some kind of plan to eliminate the secondary gains because they need to see it as a problem. The only way they're ever gonna change is they have to see it as a problem. If you accommodate all their basic needs, then they're not gonna see it as a problem. But it's like when you know the bank account starts to dwindle down and it's like, oh, I need food and, and stuff like that and basic needs start to surface up, then the person starts to understand, well, this OCD is really preventing me from doing this, right? And then that's gonna get them more in alignment with the idea of getting help. But you have to eliminate those secondary gains to really peel back that and, and help the person understand that it's a problem, right? Because the first level of change is problem awareness, right? They have to become aware of what the problem is and the fact that they do need help. Um, that's why in AA, right, the first 
first step of AA, right, is acknowledging that you have a problem, right? And and if the person is not willing to acknowledge it, then it's your job in many ways as a as a loved one to start peeling back the layers to the point to let them see that it really is a problem and that it really does need to be addressed. And if you keep accommodating and meeting those those needs, um, you know, you're going to prevent that from happening. And then the resentment starts to build, and then that's when a lot of tension really starts. So it's, it's almost like you got to be willing to go through a lower level of conflict to prevent it from getting really high. And again, that's why, like, you've heard me talk about in this series again and again, like, we got to prioritize the long-term treatment. we got to re- prioritize long-term recovery, both for the individual and your family unit and yourself. So hopefully that's helpful and hopefully that makes sense. Um, I know it's not always the funnest conversation to have, but it's serious and and it is. And so um, we have resources obviously down in the notes here um, as well as over at restoredminds.com. And we're here to help you on this journey. That's what we do day in, day out. And, um, you know, that will conclude this particular series on helping a loved one with OCD. And uh, in the next episode, we're going to start a brand new series that I'm super excited about. So thank you guys. Hope you guys have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you found it helpful, chances are others will too. So if you would please do me a favor and show your support by subscribing and leaving a review, I would really appreciate it. Also, if you're looking for a higher level of support on your journey, we have several resources to support you over at restoredminds.com. And we've even included some links right down below in the notes. Lastly, if you have any questions, you can email me at support at restoredminds.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to see you soon.